This podcast proudly brought to you by Moss Shot Shells. Old school is back in season. Experience superior shells when you go with Boss Shot Shells. Their premium, non-toxic bismuth shells knock birds down so hard that the old guys might just think they're shooting lead again. Make sure you check out Boss Shot Shells for your next purchase of shotgun shells. Hey guys, I'm Jordan Fromer. I believe in hunting hard, hunting smart, and having a fun time while doing it. And shooting limits? Well, that's just the icing on the cake. I revel in the journey just as much as the successes it brings. From ducks to dogs to decoys and guns, we'll be talking tactics, strategies, and what it takes to get the job done. Load up and take aim. This is the Duck Gun Podcast. What's going on, folks? Thanks for joining me on another episode of the Duck Gun Podcast. This week's episode, we're joined by Dave from Finisher. We discussed working in the waterfowl industry, his journey to get from where he started to where he is today, and hunting in New Mexico, and much more. So without further ado, quick word from our partners, and we'll jump right into the content. Hi, this is Killian Bailey from Bailey's Game Calls. I'm here to tell you about our duck, goose, and wood duck calls. We use 3D printing technology to revolutionize the industry. This new technology allows us to create calls with the same sound as wood, acrylic, or anything in between that's at a fraction of the price. Make sure to check out baileysgamecalls.com for your next game call. Next, we'd like to give a big thanks to our partners at White Rock Decoys. Be a nomad and get out further with their system of windsocks and silhouettes. Use discount code DUCKGUNPOD at checkout for 10% off your next order at whiterockdecoys.com. We'd also like to give a big thanks to our partners over at ShotCam. Now, I've been using ShotCam for the last year, and I can tell you right now, it's a great tool for improving your shooting, whether you're doing clays or live birds or just want to see some cool footage of your shots after the fact. Make sure to check out ShotCam.com and use discount code DuckGun at checkout for $40 off. Time for another podcast. How you doing, Elliot? I'm doing pretty good. How about yourself? <laughs> oh, I'm doing great. Uh, doing great. Staying busy in summer. I've been going crazy with the spring cleaning and yard work, and whew, it's been crazy. Still haven't got a stillhead, but that that I haven't really had the time now. I've been uh um I got this decorative pond back in my backyard. My wife's been asking me to remove it for years, and so I thought I'd do it in like a couple days a couple day like event just go out there move the stones remove the water and get the liner out of there and it would just be just done lickety split but i'm like i don't even know four or five days in on this thing and it is a mess it's the biggest hassle ever but (laughs) you know i gotta one thing i've been telling myself um you know because you and me were both really hardcore waterfowlers we hit it hard during the season and i'm like man i gotta find that same passion and same drive to do like the other stuff you know in life in the off season and well that's not gonna happen that's not gonna happen it doesn't it doesn't you can fake it you can try to fake it it's not gonna happen though yeah i mean you can't get that excited about removing a uh you know a pond from your backyard a little decorative pond but no no but yeah to be fair to my wife i gotta you know it's like uh it's like you say like when you get done with a hunt i think you said this in one of your videos a long time ago you can't just be all tired and mopey you know after your hunt around the house on the saturday afternoon when you get home 
So off season, I can't just be lazy and do nothing when I'm like busting it all season long. I get up at, you know, four in the morning to go on these hunts and hunt all day. And, and now I'm, it's too cold to go out there and work on the pond, you know? <laughs> yeah. You've got to put work into the marriage and making sure that uh, that's the biggest thing to me. It's like, okay. Um, she puts up with a lot of crap with this hunting stuff. So off season, it's her time and, you know, uh, make sure that, um, like you're saying, what you're saying is dead on, right? You got to make sure and take care of business. Yeah. So that's what I've been up to lately. So weirdest thing happened to me this last week. I don't know how weird it is, but for me, it's so normally <laughs> this is like duck depression time, right? Where you're just like really sinking into it. But I, I've had the weirdest thing. I, I have been so excited for waterfowl season. It's like it's it was like it was a week away. I've been like daydreaming about it. I'm looking through the calendar and setting up my calendar hunt dates and and it's like this this excitement and a, almost adrenaline has just come over me. It's like it's tomorrow. <laughs> it's really weird. It doesn't seem like a long way away. I've been like I don't know, just so pumped up about it. And it's like, wow, where is this coming from? I mean, it's like, it's not even May. <laughs> yeah, we got a long way. I think I, uh, I did, um, I think I just did a Google search. How many days till September 1st? Um, and it was last week. And like you said, I was daydreaming about it and having like some of that. It's, it's just the fringes of it are starting to hit me. The little bit of the duck depression. Um, not bad. I mean, I think to the extent which I hunted last year. Um, it's kind of staved it off a little bit because, you know, when you push yourself so hard, it's just like, you know, you're ready for a little bit of a break by the end of it. Yeah. Um, but you know, we got like 125 days or something around there. I can't remember. I could do the web search right now, but, um, yeah, it's days till September. I'll just do it. So I don't know why I'm sitting here feeling so excited about it. <laughs> I shouldn't be feeling those emotions. It's not like a longing sad. It's just like, yeah, yeah, let's go. It's, uh, it's going to be here soon. <laughs> like, <laughs> 129 days. And that's not even till till season because you got to add another 13 onto that. Yeah, so, I know. 142 days. Maybe we should, uh, you know, add that to our intro every week. You yeah. know, <laughs> how many days left? Yeah, that's a good idea. That's a, For well, sure. I'll forget it by next week, but. Somebody, somebody send me an Instagram post and remind me. So that's another thing I want to talk about real quick in our intro. You know, people, uh, let people know. Uh, we do want to start doing some Q&A uh, more often on the podcast. Um, unfortunately, we had some audio issues, as you guys heard, in our podcast. And we actually lost our Q&A podcast, unfortunately. So um, we want to do more of those in the future. So go ahead, send those over to us. And I think the best place to reach us um is on our instagram accounts i'm duck gun chronicles on instagram elliot is freelance duck hunting so let's go over there um give us a follow send us messages and we'll make sure to hit those up um an upcoming podcast yeah, one of my favorite things is getting private messages on instagram i just love talking with people about hunting anytime people ask questions and and i don't know i love uh instagram private messages so if any of you listen Feel free to hit me up and we'll chat some. I never get tired of chatting about duck hunting. Yeah, that's always great. And then it's like, um, you know, the other thing I've been doing this week, turkey hunting just, just started. Um, but, you know, I put out my Instagram story this week or yesterday, actually. Um, and, you know, it was my alarm clock set early. And yeah, then, you know, that. you get the, the messages. Um, 
and people saying good luck, all that kind of stuff, you know, talking about their turkey hunting. And, you know, like you said, it is awesome to get that in the interaction with other um, turkey hunters out there. So, and, you know, we're more specific waterfowlers, but off season, you do what you can do. So, <laughs> yeah, you don't want to hear my turkey experience this week. It's bad. Did you go hunting? Well, no, but I was going to go hunting. Um, <laughs> So Aiden went out with his dad on Saturday and they shot a turkey and he's like, look, there's three more out there. I know right where they're going. Um, I feel about 60, 70% sure that they're going to cross this exact spot and we can shoot one. He's like, do you want to go? I'm like, yeah, I do. Yeah. Okay. Let's do it. I'm going to get Nevin out there. I mean, this is, I haven't had to do any scouting. It's just like right there. Well, unfortunately the wife and I, I wouldn't say we got into a fight, but it was definitely (laughs) on the verge of a fight and was like lots of in-depth discussions going over multiple topics that lasted until about 1 1 30 at night and it was easter on sunday and i'm like there's no way I, I, there's no way i can get up at five because i had such a full easter day it was like we're gonna go to church we're gonna go to my in-laws and we're gonna do this passover traditional passover dinner in the evening and they had work the next day and i'm sitting there at like 1 30 saturday morning going no way. I, I cannot. It was just stressing me out. Not to mention I had all this, I wouldn't call it drama with the wife, but you know, it's that in between, okay, we've got to have a talk about some few things and, and fighting. Yeah. And it's yeah. just like, so I, I texted Aiden and went through, I was like, man, I'm so sorry. Um, I just can't, I, I just, I, it's too much. I can't do, I can't really fully embrace Easter on four hours sleep or three hours sleep or whatever it was. And I have to bow out. He goes out there and he shot a turkey within like 25 minutes of, of sun. <laughs> they came right through. He just poop, popped one. He was out by like 625. I'm like, ugh. <laughs> it would have been so perfect. My son Nevin would have had his first turkey. And I'm just like, oh my gosh. <laughs> I had the clothes were all laid out. Everything was set. So. But I can't really, I'm not about to be pissed off at my wife about that because, you know, it's (laughs) when hunting comes around, you don't, you gotta, you gotta be careful. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's just how it goes sometimes. So, (laughs) yep. That may be the highlight of my turkey season. (laughs) You guys, how many, how many weeks do you have left to get it done? It goes into May. So you still have a chance. You got a chance. Yeah. We'll see. So ours actually opened up Wednesday, which is today. Um, it'll be a little bit back for the people listening, but, um, yeah, went out there first day and I wasn't hunting. I was out there filming for HDR, doing HDR film. Um, for those of you guys don't know, which I think most of the people listen to the podcast do, um, do work for HDR. So, um, that was the plan going out there and me and Tim had scouted it out the day before. Um, we actually had multiple fields that we had permission on with turkeys. So we made a game plan had a field out there um it had three toms and we knew right where they're walking um they're getting right off the roost and coming so we, we'd set up went out there and, and the plan was um one of uh um tim's friend bill was gonna hunt and his grandson he wanted to get his grandson his first turkey so that was going to be the hunt and we're going to film it it's going to be awesome cool memory for them as well uh so we go out there and and first thing turkey's going gobbling like crazy just hammering away nonstop. um but they just didn't do exactly what they did the day before they actually hung up in the field where they'd been crossing the field that they landed from roost and walked all the way across 
and uh, we could actually hear them, you know, calling to a hen, and a hen would call back, and they're gobbling, and they're just hung up in this field. And so eventually the hens work off, and they come past us in the blind. Um, but the the toms, the three toms, are still strutting out in this field, gobbling like crazy. I mean, we're talking for like an hour straight, just gobbling, gobbling, all three of them gobbling. And you know, we could one of the hens went back in the woods, and we could still hear hens going. And uh, so, anyways, we're paying attention to that. And all of a sudden, the big Tom drops his feathers and just runs all the way across the field. He just runs all the way across the field straight towards us, and he gets right across from us, probably about 70 yards out, and he just stands there fanning and strutting. Um, And then, all of a sudden, he turns around and starts running the other way. And I'm like, oh, crap, we spooked him. Somehow we spooked him. He saw us or, or something. And then... I noticed out of the corner of my eye, we got two more Toms <laughs> that came and they snuck up behind us. And so they're, he's actually running from the other Toms that are actually running at him. Mm. I don't know if he's running from them or running with them. But anyways, all of a sudden we have five Toms now out in front of us in that field. And then it was just like a fiasco all of a sudden, just Toms doing crazy stuff all this all at once. And then one of the Toms from the five, and this is just like nonstop movement. He runs over to us, starts fanning. The other two Toms run up. He runs. They all three of them run, join the other two. And then one from them runs back. We're talking like they run like 300 yards to the end of that field and then run back. And this other Tom runs back to us all the way. And the first two that came behind us, we noticed them. And in time, probably could have shot him. But, um, you know, uh, Bill's grandson, Cade, not an experienced hunter. He couldn't just whip his gun around level it and you know pop one in the head um you know he's never shot a turkey i I don't know his age but i know he's younger um so he would have you know needed time needed the time to stop put his head up and have a really confident shot so we would have had a chance on those those two that came right there at 40 yards and then the one that came back same line and he walked right past the blind at 40 yards and um you know him being a newer hunter it was just kind of outside of his range of comfort and and uh you know just so close to you know being able to finish that and getting it done but we had a great time you know i'm I'm sure kate got a lot of experience from that and learned some lessons and and uh yeah so first day of turkey turkey hunting filming whatever you call it was you know a lot of action we were right there in the thick of it gobbling turkeys all over the place so we'll be out there tomorrow i'm kind of filming and hunting but uh that's kind of how it goes every time. So um, I'll be filming Tim and Hunter tomorrow. Uh, hopefully they can double. And the field that we scouted for this has 10 toms in it. So Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so if, uh, you know, they shoot two and another one comes up, probably trade, cam- trade cameras with, uh, you know, Hunter and, uh, you know, pop one, too, and it'll triple. So, Wouldn't that be cool? <laughs> that'd be cool, yeah. And we're, we're doing all of it out of the, the A-frame, too. Nice. So. Yeah. Well, that sounds like that was really exciting. Yeah, no, I, I mean, it's definitely fun to get out there um, again in the morning. Uh, I think we, we always say this, and I don't want to say this in a, like a disheartening way, but it doesn't do it quite how duck hunting does. It is a lot of fun, though. Yeah, it is. Um, I love getting out there in nature, but I can tell you that um, this morning when I woke up on opening day, it's not the same day. It's not the same feeling as duck hunting opening day where it's like Christmas, your birthday, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I agree. Totally agree. All right. Well, I think this is probably a good time to bring whoa, 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 whoa. What about this, you getting bit by a coot? <laughs> okay. I've been I waiting. Forgot, I forgot. I've been waiting that. since I got the text from you for days. 
to so, hear about I text this you, coot I, story. Okay, so... so You're not getting out of here without <laughs> telling this story. <laughs> I, I didn't realize how much how much stuff I've done this week. So we normally do our week update, but I've been out still hunting, uh, still hunting, still head fishing as well um, with no success. I've been hooking still head up, um, but they're super hard to land. Um, and the place we fish, Big River, um, so they just get in the current and go downstream of you, almost spool you out, and then you got to stop them. And they break your line. So um, <laughs> that's kind of what I was out doing. So we're out there on the river, um, steelhead fishing. And we're going through this creek right off the river, walking up it. We're walking back through it. And I see this duck swimming in the water. And, you know, I'm like, that thing's got a jacked up wing. And then, bloop, it goes under the water and starts, uh, you know, and we just don't see it again. And then later that day, again, it was like at the edge of the creek in the river right up on shore um just sitting there i don't know what it was doing and it sees me coming and it bloop it just pops back in the water but that time i realized it wasn't it wasn't a duck it was a coot and so and i'm like man that coot's got a jacked up wing it can obviously still swim but i mean this thing's gonna die um so you know i go i go looking around um later on actually i went up up a, a path uh, probably about 20 yards from uh, the river and I see this coot again and it's just sitting there and its wing is all like crippled and mangled up and I'm like um, like I want to help this I know uh, I just just out of kind of like I, I, you feel bad for it you see this coot it's going to die it's got a jacked up wing and yeah. you want to help it so I see it there and I see it and it sees me and it's like and it goes running towards the river and I go running after it like an <laughs> idiot and like <laughs> and I can tell you right now, coots are not very nimble. And I don't know if it was because it had a jacked up <laughs> wing, but it literally, it was like tripping over its massive feet, like through the woods and like doing somersaults because it's like down a hill to the river and I'm like chasing it. And so then I like cut off on the side path and run around it. And coots are not very fast. I didn't realize this either, but I literally could run all the way around it and I cut it off and I got to in between the river and him first. And so then he's there and I'm there and I'm doing like the back and forth, like, uh-huh. you know, lateral <laughs> movements and there's other people fishing. And like I'm like just oblivious to all of them, and like and I'm like just like trying to like you know football style like block this uh, coot from getting the river so I can help it you know fix its wing, and so <laughs> which I mean there's there's probably no way it was gonna actually help it. I I wanted to try, but <laughs> um, anyways I go to and I finally I get to a point where I can grab this coot and I put my hand on the coot. You know, I was gonna hold it down and, and try to fix the wing, and that coot's like, "Not today!" and it just snaps, and and I don't know what I thought would happen, but it just bit me, and it it drew blood. <laughs> it bit, it hurt, and I'm like, "Okay, whatever." Have your way, coot. Just like I could have held on to it, kept holding on to it, but it probably would have kept biting me. So I just you know let go, and he just runs past me, like tumbles one more somersault, and stands back up and jumps into the river and starts swimming like a little submarine. But <laughs> oh man, uh, well they've got sharp little beaks. Yeah, I, di- I didn't uh, I didn't account for that because when you shoot a duck, I've never got bit by a duck. I'm like, well, you know, <laughs> it's a little different. Yeah, so. yeah, I've seen them do some pretty dumb looking stuff. <laughs> too when we're out on the marsh and we're we'll be like coming down little canals and stuff and 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 flushing a 
a bunch of coots and sometimes they'll take off flying and they think they can get enough elevation to get over like a little <laughs> bank, but they can't. So they like body plant and roll and they're really comical little <laughs> suckers. They are. I was super surprised the first time when I was chasing it and just like starts tumbling and bouncing. I'm like, if there's, if I can catch it, me, if I can catch it, like a predator has zero like, uh, <laughs> difficulty getting one of these so oh, i mean as long, once they get in the water they're super fast and super nimble yeah. with their with their huge like if you haven't seen them up close yeah i know a lot of duck hunters don't shoot them they have huge feet so yeah they're, they're lobed feet not they don't have they don't have webbed feet they're lobed um which is really interesting they've there, just another toe pads. It's another word for uh, weird, I think. <laughs> it is weird. If you ever have the chance to to shoot one, make sure you check out its feet because it, it's it's built for swimming, but a totally different design than the webbed feet. It's really interesting looking. Yeah. All right. Now I think it's a good time to go ahead and bring in our guest. Our guest for today is Dave from Adrenaline, and he's the creator of Finisher. So uh, we're going to have a great podcast with him. Really interesting guy. I met him a couple times. But yeah, let's jump right into it. What's going on, folks? I'm Jordan from Duck Gun Chronicles. Got my co-host, Elliot, from Freelance Duckening. And our guest tonight is Dave. And Dave is someone I met at the shows um, doing Waterfall Expos. And he is the creator of The Finisher. Lives in New Mexico. And going to bring some interesting information for us tonight. So how you doing tonight, Dave? Great, man. Appreciate you having me on. Awesome. So, uh, you know, first thing we want to jump into is just, uh, you know, let people know a little bit about who you are, what you got going on, and, uh, you know, a little bit about your duck hunting. All right. So we uh, we were established in February of 2013, so we've been around a little bit. Um, it's been a, a quite a journey, but it seems like just this past couple years, uh, we've really been able to make some headway in getting our product out there called The Finisher. Um, and what it basically is is a tool that uh, is to quickly and humanely kill your, you know, your foul game or uh, any small game as well, uh, without, you know, ruining it. Your your bird, if you wanted to mount it or anything like that, it keeps them in pristine condition. And uh, our new tagline is a, uh, be humane, kill your game humane or something like that. Some guy was telling me, and I was like, ah, that's pretty catchy. <laughs> Actually, it was what be humane for your game kill them or something like i don't know anyways (laughs) we're working on it it's a work in progress but uh yeah man that's what we got going on uh we have a couple new designs coming out as well and uh just uh excited to be sharing it with people from around the world and around the country and stuff like that how how did how did the idea get generated so uh believe it or not um i i went hunting with uh my long-term friend, uh, his name is Carlos. Uh, we went hunting. I went out there to film a hunt, and uh, he actually was like, hey, do you want to try and hunt um, a bird? And I was like, ah, I don't know. I don't really get into duck hunting. This is like 14 years ago. And uh, so I went out there. I shot a bird, and needless to say, I got hooked on the quack. And uh, from there, you know, I started I loving the sport. But, man, I always had such a hard time. Uh, finishing them off like just wringing the necks is the only method I was introduced to that was you know what he did and you know after hunting it got together for a while we were like you know what there's got to be a better way to do this so you know we started getting together and uh, trying to come up with a better idea and uh, first he he came across like this little poker um, that people used to use 
and I was looking at it and I'm like, man, I, 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 I need, we definitely need to go and run with this thing. So I went uh, home and I, and I started uh, grab my son's Play-Doh and I started molding it into a, a duck head and I got that. I took it to a lawyer and as soon as my lawyer gave me the okay, uh, I brought it to my brother-in-law. My brother-in-law put it into a 3D CAD format um, for me to get it uh, made. And then from there, I started, uh, you know, seeking out local um, manufacturing companies. And then from there, we just kind of started shaping into what it is today. And uh, we're continuing for 2019. We were able to thin them down. So they're not just a duck killer. We actually have the ability to use it as a choke wrench uh, for your shotgun. Um, which comes in pretty nifty instead of having a you know fish in your pockets for some change or you know in your duck bag trying to get your choke uh, wrench out you could just use the finisher by putting it upside down um, and you could it locks right in there into a 12 and 20 gauge I believe um, pretty easily awesome that's pretty cool and uh, you know being in the waterfall industry it's kind of like a dog eat dog world so you know how has that been kind of your journey from 2013 all the way to now so you know it's it's weird every year um at least two to three people try to tend to uh knock off the product um luckily we've been blessed that you know just i'm the type of person that i i feel like if you just talk to somebody and let them know um you know they'll stop so uh people usually have respect in the fact that uh, i've worked pretty hard to get where it's at i put thousands and thousands of dollars into the patent that we have and uh continuing to modify and create it to make it better for everybody so uh it has been a challenge to uh just keep people from making it because you you know when you file a patent you got 20 years so um, after the 20 years i expect it to be like every other call company out there there's gonna be finisher stands all over the place um which is fine i mean um i understand that people want to go out there and make something like this i mean uh and, and you know use their their thought on how they want it to look um but they just got to give me my time <laughs> before they jump on on the, that boat you know um as far as you know everything else it's been it's been real well received um we do have people every now and then that you know they just they don't find the uh the reasons to be using the finisher on their product the only real pushback we've had of just uh some people said that it's terrible for taxidermy issues um but i say with anything that's misused just like if you drink too much water you could kill yourself but it's good for you uh if you misuse the finisher you uh could ruin your bird but if you use it the way we tell you people how to do it you'll be perfectly fine and it's just a pin size hole in the back of the head can, can you kind of explain um a little more on how to use it what it what it, it's function and job is how to use it properly some people may not i know i was exposed to it um i get um hunter's hall waterfowl box sent to me and they sent that out last year or as i guess it's not this past season but the season before that and i i was unaware of the product until i got it and then all of a sudden um i, I guess you're, whether your marketing started working better or what i heard i started hearing slowly people talk more and more about it but there may be some people that have not been exposed to it all so can you kind of explain the science as to how it exactly works and where you're supposed to insert it and, and information like that yeah so so after um uh jumping back to when we first got this thing started um 
basically looking more into it, we found I found that there was a lot more people using this method, just nobody ever did anything with it. And I don't know if it was a biology teacher that first ever thought of this method, um, but basically what you're doing is you're filling the back part of the bird's skull or small game animal, and there's a little knot right there. And I, Some people call it the medubla oblongata, some people call it something else. I, I don't know all the technical terms on, I just call it the little dip um, in the back of the base of the skull. Um, right where the neck and head meet, uh, join. There's a little soft spot right there. Everybody could feel it in the back of their own heads. Uh, everything, every creature has that. Uh, so basically, you just feel that. Right when it's, you feel that part, um, you get the finisher on the sharp end with the curve pointing upward. And we did made it. I made it with the curve upward so that you can make sure you hit that brain um, properly. Because I, I did have some people that, you know, they just get it, they pop it in the, that part, and they just drive it straight in. And the problem with that is if you're going straight in, it goes right into the eye sockets and nasal cavity, missing the brain where you need to kill the bird more effectively. And you could potentially hit the, the, um, the main artery in the back of the neck and you're gonna get a lot of blood. So if you make sure you're right below that knot, right when it breaks skin, make sure you angle it at an upward position so the tip is facing the top part of the skull towards the back of the head, drive it in, and then from there, uh, as soon as it goes in, you just give it a turn left and right as if you're unlocking a door, uh, pull, remove it, and the bird's done. So you're basically hitting the brain stem uh, right up into the brain in one motion. That's why the birds are dead instantly. Mm -hmm. That does seem a lot more humane than ringing, ringing necks um, because especially a lot of people have no idea how to, to even close to quickly kill a bird by wringing its neck. It becomes a torture. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I even tell people, you know, um, so they're like, well, why, why, why use this method? So that, that's the, the first question. Like, why use the finisher over just wringing a bird's neck? Well, one, if you wanted to mount your bird, you don't worry about ruining it. Number two, um, how many people have fallen off of a house or something like that and broken their neck and they're still alive? Yes, granted, some people do die, but there's a lot of the times a person's just paralyzed you know they don't want to they can't move you know because it's it's a risky area so same thing with like a bird you snap their neck just they, you know they could be just paralyzed there, suffering the entire time when you think you killed it and yeah eventually they will die um but this is just so much quicker um so i always tell people you know take the challenge buy one try it out if you don't like it we buy it back we have a lifetime warranty on them and uh never had one come back since we've been open and i've offered that warranty since we started just because I know once you use it after your third time you're just going to be a believer and understand that this is the most humane and quick way to dispatch your your crippled birds do most people just keep it on their lanyard then yeah we so so some people are like well what happens if I fall I'm like well you know if you fall on it and it's on your lanyard it would t literally take an act of God for that thing to flip around in the midair it'd have to pause literally in the midair somehow because it's me facing downward um and then it's gonna have to lodge itself into you know some sticks or you know a rock or something to face upward for you to stab yourself so that's something that someone should never have to have a concern about well i want to put it on my on my lanyard so um i think that's the best place just because if you do have it on your lanyard you're able to use it quickly you don't have to fish it out of your pocket or anything like that and um, that's what it's there for, be quicker and more humane for those birds that you're, you're hunting or small game animals. So that's why we recommend putting it on your lanyard. But for those that don't 
uh, feel comfortable for that for whatever reason. Uh, we do have carabiners that have like a 24-inch Kevlar cord that we sell with a lifetime warranty as well. And those can clip onto anything, your game bag, your uh, another part of your waders, um, your duct tote, and so you can keep it there as well. And we also make them out of brass. So I put a little bit of research behind this and wanted to make sure I was giving something that was beneficial for every waterfowler out there. I wanted to make sure that they knew that we were putting our, our a quality product out and that's why we offer that lifetime warranty. In addition to that, um, we make them out of brass. So the reason why we make them out of brass is because there's a 15 year resistance to corrosion, especially in salt water, and they don't rust. So uh, that's another good positive about using this. And then, you know, we tried other materials like metal and steel and stuff like that. And it got so cold sometimes that uh, when he, and you got and you it was wet and you put your fingers on it, your fingers got stuck to it almost like licking a frozen pole yeah. so then you had to put the finisher back into the water with your fingers to to get the water to to put make it a you know unstuck from your fingers so um it, it's a simple product but it's very effective and like i said we, we try and make it better um every year like so we have a couple more things coming out that i think people are going to love um but right now our newest feature is just that added choke wrench and I would say it's it's not sharp like a knife or something. I mean, no, I, it's, it's it's as sharp it's a, as a ballpoint pen. Yeah, yeah. So I don't want people to think it's like you know I wouldn't worry about falling on that. Myself. And honestly, it's about a an inch long. It's an yeah. inch long and as sharp as a ballpoint pen. And uh, the reason why we have it as a ballpoint pen is just for that specific reason. You don't need it. The skin's so th- thin on the back of a bird's skull that you don't need it sharp. But for those we tell people, they're like, can we make it sharper? You're more than welcome to. You can put a little grinder or something like that to the edges and it'll pop in even easier, but there's no need for it. Um, that's just some people on a very rare circumstance decides they want it even sharper than what it is. All right, let me let me tell you guys about my, uh, my bird ringing neck horror story and Elliot you've probably heard this one already and <laughs> and uh Dave you know Hunter and so um this was a while back and he was showing me how to to ring a bird's neck and it's the first time ringing a bird's neck and he, he only had a few years start on me maybe three four years start on me in waterfowl and uh he's like you just take the bird like this and you do the the twist and he goes twist twist and the bird just goes flying through the air and in his other hand he's holding the head of a goose i guess it was a goose not a duck uh but he he showed me like twice and two different times he did it on a duck once and a goose once and i'm like man like um if you're you know if you have um we call it like a weak stomach or something like that or i mean or um, tender-hearted, or I don't know what the right words would be, but like it just like <laughs> you know, it's an, it's a gruesome sight to see, um, just yeah. seeing the whole head of a uh, or neck. I don't even know what parts of the body come flying out of there. So you know, when I saw the finisher, um, and not you know being, <laughs> let's just say I'm not, I, I don't look forward to ringing a duck because I always worry about something like that happening. You know, seeing the alternative of a finisher is just kind of a, you know. For me, it's a way better way to do it. So yeah, I've got a similar story to that. My son's very first mallard drake. Uh, he'd been trying to want to shoot one for a couple of years. He finally downs one. Dog brings it back, and my son's holding it, and it's just like like looking at me and blinking, you know. And and I grabbed that thing, thinking it would, you know, I was like, man, I, I got to get this thing killed because my son's gonna make him feel bad. And so I overdid the ringing. I popped the head <laughs> off just like that. He has never 
forgiven me for popping the head off of his first Mallard Drake. Because now, you know, kids like to hold it, and now he's just got this carcass without a head. Oh, he was so upset. He, he probably wanted to get the, you know, the, the trophy picture of his first of Mallard. And, yeah. and there's nothing. He's got to, like, hold it backwards to the camera now. Yeah, I know. I've got that on. I've, I was filming that hunt. I've got that on. I don't have the actual head popping off on camera, but his unhappiness. <laughs> I felt so bad. Oh, that's a bummer. You know, that's the worst thing um, that I hear. Like, you know, when I go out there and I talk to all these people every year and they're like, oh, that's a good idea, but I'm going to pass. And then, you know, next thing I know is I, I you know, I'm very bad with names, but I'm very good with recognizing faces. Uh, they'll come back up and I'm like, hey, I remember you. And, and they're like, yeah, you know, I passed on one of these. And let me tell you this story. And, you know, every single time I hear the same story similar to that, you know, I wrung this bird's neck and the head popped off and it was, you know, we rarely ever get mallards over here. And it was the first mallard drake I've killed in 10 years. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, you know, and they're like, when well, I ruined it by popping that, you know, uh, the head off by ringing it. And uh, the worst story I've ever heard, man, is I had this guy tell me he uh, he would hold, suffocate them. So I look in all this stuff and someone's like, man, you, you are a, you're a weird guy, man. You, you're around death a lot because I, I hear all these things. So I have to look at and research. So this guy's like, the most effective way is to uh, squeeze the bird. I'm like, really? Squeeze the bird? He's like, yep. It'll kill him in 15 seconds. I'm like, okay. So I actually looked into it. So the first 30 seconds, the bird is deprived of oxygen, right? And then so finally when you cut the oxygen off from there, they'll pass out. Um, that's where a lot of people are like, well, they, they go and they squeeze the bird, they think they killed it, and then they throw in the bucket or whatever their tote, and that gets up on them. And they're like, why in the world? I, you know, I squeezed it and it was dead. Well, the real reality is that it actually takes two to three minutes for that bird to actually die. So you have to stay holding it and squeezing it for two to three minutes. And uh, I'm like, man, that, why would you even go through that? And they're like, well, I wanted to you know, save it for my taxidermy purposes. He's like, but the bad part was I, I went to go squeeze it. I'm holding it there. And then a flock of birds come in. He goes, so I get the bird and I throw it in the bucket. I shoot. And then the dog goes on and gets it. And I grab the bird again and I start dispatching it again by squeezing it. And then another flock comes in and there I am doing it over. He said for 40 minutes, he's there battling with this bird because he didn't want to ruin it because he wanted to mount oh, it. Oh, my god! He's there doing this to the bird. And I'm just like, it's just as hunters, you know, we, we're under so much scrutiny as it is. And, you know, for anti-hunters to hear stuff like that, I could see how upset they would get, you know. And um, I just I just want people to understand that uh, the, the use of the finisher method, if it's not dead on the first shot, this is – it's something that's going to, you know, it's going to – to me, it makes me feel better knowing that the animal's dead instantly because you're, like, say, so you're detaching that brain stem right up in the brain, and so it kills them like super quick. And I don't ever f- feel bad. I mean, some people see the video and they're like, "Man, that looks way more gruesome than, you know, wringing the neck or whatever." But knowing that you're killing it a lot faster, to me, it's just respecting your game a lot more, and it's giving less stuff for people to uh, fight over um, on on hunting and our issues that we already have that we face as as you know a community. Yeah, I can I can definitely agree with that point. That's a good point to make. You know, every time we go out there as hunters um, and we're going to take an animal's life, we have to be um, completely responsible from every uh, phase of it, from taking ethical shots to um, finishing your bird in an ethical way. Um, you know, it's just our responsibility. And if you can't take that responsibility, you shouldn't even start with a shot. Yeah, yep. I wish I wish a lot more people would put consideration into the ethics side of it because shot selection would be better 
I mean, it, there's just I don't think a, uh, there's a lot of people that don't properly evaluate how important it is to kill things as cleanly and efficiently as possible with as little pain and suffering as possible. Because to me, that's a really important thing. I think a lot of people just don't even think about it. And I think uh, same same thing along the lines of like the anti hunters, and they and they kind of look at it um, from an outside perspective that we kind of hate ducks for some reason. Um, you know, we're going out there and we're hunting ducks, and and we're taking the life of a duck when you go out and hunt it. And um, you know, kind of along those lines, I mean, it is important to show kind of um, a respect for. It. And you know, I know for myself and for almost all the other waterfowlers that I know. Um, they don't hate ducks. We don't hate ducks. Um, we really do respect the animal. Um, and you know, it's kind of like, uh, you saw a lot of posts this week, uh, with earth day stuff and everyone saying how much money goes to hunting conversation, uh, conservation from hunters. And it really does, you know, show kind of the respect for hunters and same, same thing along the lines, you know, uh, respecting it, using a method that's going to be clean and quick and concise. Well, there you go. Respect your game, kill them humane. There it is. There, there it is. See, I knew you just had to say the right word, man, and then it popped in my head. Yeah, that, that's a good tagline, though. That, that's a good one. That's good. Yeah. All right. So, um, kind of talking about the waterfowl industry. I know uh, that you go to a lot of shows. You go out there. Um, so, how is it working in the waterfowl industry, kind of full time? Um, and you know, what is your kind of day to day schedule as long as you're as well as your kind of annual schedule, schedule getting out to all these shows. So, um, a little backstory about me, not to drift off from this, but um, I've, I'm have i a product of an infomercial kid. Um, growing up, I just watched infomercials a lot. <laughs> so, um, I've always, that like, kind of stuck with me. So, in the event, like how I came up with the finisher, just always like thinking outside the box and how to make things better. And doing that and growing up I went in I started working for Walmart when I was 16 as a cashier and then just working my way up the company while I went to college anyways getting out of college fast forwarding the time a little bit um I just I knew that I I, that I wasn't meant to just you know work for somebody I needed to do something more so I worked for Walmart for like oh man I would say I think I was 14 years working with them after college I got my bachelor's in criminal justice and government and I thought I was going to be this FBI agent, and I find out that uh, they only take people with computer degrees and because <laughs> computer crime's so high. And I'm like, oh, gosh. So, you know, I tried everything, and I couldn't get it anywhere. But I always had that desire to do something more. So um, I ended up working, like, three to four jobs um, so that I can get this business going. Um, the, I've been doing this finally now for two and a half years. Um, so I just want to let people know it's not like, hey, I come up with this product and now I'm a multimillionaire. I have worked every bit of my life more than uh, I probably feel like I should have just to so I can get this thing going and, and do what I love. Um, it came to – I was doing about three to four shows when I was working as uh, an area manager for Walmart at the distribution center. Um, I did photography on the side, um, which came hand in hand for doing product commercials and product uh, pictures and stuff like that. So I would do a bunch of those side jobs. And then I did a bunch of real estate stuff um, to keep a steady income. Um, so finally, two and a half years ago, uh, I was running out of vacation time. And they were like, you need to make a choice. You're either going to A, 
you need to quit the finisher, put that on the side, or you need and work with us full time, or you need to quit. And I was like, well, I kind of need to go with the finisher. I mean, that's just kind of where you know it is. So doing that, I ended up jumping from my expos from two to three shows to about eight. Um, for the last two, this last year we did 18 shows. Um, and the experience has been awesome, man. Um, I have, I truly love what I do. And what I love even more is meeting people, talking to people from all over the country and finding out the ways they like to hunt and all the different, different techniques and just the friends uh, that I've made across the entire country. I know I could have never done doing anything else. So it's been great. But I will tell you, people and my, my friends, uh, Clay and Field with Field Proven Calls, um, you know, I met them four years ago at the Pennsylvania show. And they never understood that uh, they always be like, how's it going? I'm like, man, it's kind of tough, you know. And they're like, really? I would think this would be something easy that everybody would pick up, you know. It's just so, you know, such a great idea. And I'm like, man, when they leave your booth from a call to mine, all of a sudden they are more of a man than they've ever been. And uh, they become into animals and barbarians. And, uh, you know, I start getting the head biters and you get, you know, just so much backlash. And it kind of gets exhausting after a while. And, you know, and uh, you're always like, I don't feel, I say arguing with people, but you're always just educating uh, every, every customer that comes through that doesn't see the relevance in it right away. So that is like one of the kind of things that can be... Um, draining being on the road and the experiences that you have meeting all these new people is just kind of the you know personalities um i would say for the most part uh it's always positive and and uh just really great to meet so many different people um has been awesome and i would say like i don't know i said of every hundred people i would say two to three just are those overly manly men that uh will you know they could they could uh they do everything with their hands you know they can build a whole house just with the bare hands there's no tools or anything like that those type of guys you know they can whittle uh make a whole house out of just a piece of bark you know it just <laughs> it's it's those type of guys that you know can be a little draining but you know for the most part it's, it's been good and uh that that's just kind of giving me more of a uh, eye opener on you know the different types of hunting situations out there because you know from if I'd have never had this business and been able to travel around I'd have never known how other people hunt you know timber and uh, other people are like no we just do straight you know land hunting and uh, other people are like no we just we know we hunt out of a boat and it's just it's just really cool and unique to see all that um, different culture and how people are raised uh, differently throughout the United States awesome so yeah elliot and i can attest a little bit to what you said and and uh you know doing the podcast and the youtube stuff in the waterfowl industry um and then i actually met you doing um shows with htr a couple of those um and i can tell you guys uh dave is a businessman through and through and <laughs> i can definitely see the infomercial kid coming out uh from time to time and <laughs> um, my I know mom you, you, thought me i was gonna uh, have a house full of just infomercials product stuff, man. <laughs> like she, she said she was scared for me. She didn't think I was going to ever have enough money uh, to just survive because I was going to be buying all the infomercial stuff because, <laughs> you know, it just caught my attention all the time. But here, here's the real question after hearing, hearing all that. Um, was the ShamWow guy your favorite or did you have somebody else? <laughs> uh, Billy, Billy, Billy Hayes, man. Billy Mays? I think it's Billy Mays, the guy that died. He was... 
he was my guy, man. Uh, he was the one that I always liked to watch. The guy with the beard and the blue shirt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He was the he was the guy that I always watched more than anything on there. Uh, just liked his tactics, man. It actually helped me uh, to learn how to talk to people. Um, you know, you have to either, you have to be an extrovert uh, to do this type of business. Yeah, yeah, I can definitely see that for sure, and. Uh um for those guys the billy mays is that what you said his name was yeah i think it's pretty positive billy mays and he was uh, the oxy oxy clean guy was he oxy clean did he do sham wow too or no no sham wow was like the blonde headed younger guy he had a lot oh, of good okay. taglines but uh billy mays <laughs> did a lot of like wait there's more stuff uh, okay gotcha gotcha the the upsell guy so yeah <laughs> All right, so let's kind of change gears here and uh, talk about kind of some of your local hunting. Um, I've heard from a few people here this last year, um, you know, New Mexico, it's the hidden gem, and maybe you don't want that information out there. You don't want all the um, non-residents flooding your state, but uh, go ahead and tell us a little bit about um, New Mexico hunting. Um, well, honestly, I, I didn't really think we were in that great of a state. I mean, like I said, until I, I re- get out and I talk to more people and, you know, we're in a really good flyway. And the reason why I, I didn't realize we were in such a good honey hole was until I met uh, Phil Robertson. That was one of the coolest things that I've done uh, with this business. I was able to go and uh, hang out on his property and talk with him for like four hours. And uh, he said he mentioned that New Mexico and uh, another area where some of the best duck hunting he's ever had in his life he's like i don't know why people you guys come all the way this way to bird hunting because you guys have a really good spot down there in new mexico and uh then i started kind of realizing you know that that saying you know grass isn't always greener on the other side and really realizing that you know we are in a pretty good flyaway we get a lot of mallards we shoot a lot of widgeon um, those are our primary birds. We'll get some teal, uh, green wing mostly, uh, depending on what part of the state you're at. You can get some cinnamons and blue wing, um, more south you go in the state. Um, we do get spoonies. Um, you get a merganser every now and then. We always pass on those. Um, pintails Ooh. are going to be more on the rare <laughs> side, um, but we do get them. Um, but majority of the time, man, we are shooting green heads. And uh, the, the, the way we hunt over here is um, different than some of the area. Like I said, I haven't hunted all over the country, so I don't know exactly. But as far as us, we hunt um, the river. So we, the Rio Grande River runs right through the middle of the state. Um, most of it's public land. You can't own any part of the river, so you're always fighting against the public, um, which is fine. You know, If you get out there and you scout, um, like I said, my buddy Carlos... Uh, that introduced me into the sport. He scouts, I would say, two, three times a week before he goes and hunts, and he kills a lot of birds. And, um, you know, he the guys that he's able to take benefit from his scouting. And, you know, I used to be one of those guys that was able to hunt with them all the time, and, you know, we shot a lot of birds. But So you basically we hunt the river. Um, we throw a spread out, you know, maybe 10, 15 yards from us. Um, and then you just stash inside the riverbank. Um, underneath the trees and stuff and those birds are literally in your face you're getting 10 to 20 yard shots um, all day long and believe it or not at that close I am still having to dispatch birds um, out in the field man I I almost came with the nickname of the the crippler out in the blind 
because I just I don't know, man. I I aim in the face and I hit them in the wing sometimes. What so is is there shallow sections of the river or is it always deep or what's the habitat like? So it's fluctuating. So it's pretty dangerous, man. In, in uh, some situations, so um, early season, uh, it just depends. You, you, we basically have to take a little stick or we take a pole and you you poke. You have to poke the sides and then whenever you get in, sometimes the water will be at your ankles um, and then the next day or two days later they'll let more water in the river and it'll be all the way up to your stomach. So you, it's very, very important that um, you're always checking the water right when you're first stepping in. On average, the water is typically around your knees to your, uh, to your belly button. That's about how much it, it runs. So it's just a pretty good pace. It's not too much. Sometimes the current's a little much even at, you know, uh, your, your, right at your belly button area. Um, it, to where it just pushes your decoys down and you have to really keep watch of them because uh, I've lost already three decoys. Um, we set our decoys out, we go back to the shore, we hit, wait for the shooting light and then we, we start, we do a count of our uh, decoys, make sure they're all there and before you know it, you know, one's gone and then it happens a couple times and before you know it, you're down to a half dozen versus your dozen just because you didn't pay attention. But um, it is important to try and have a dog because um, a lot of times the problem what we have is you shoot you know if it's just me and a buddy we shoot maybe two three birds we'll run out there to grab them if you don't have a dog and the current's pushing the bird so fast that sometimes you start chasing the bird down the water uh and then you hit a pocket like a little hole and it'll you'll you could just fall right in um there's been i've fallen twice uh doing something dumb like that um and having a dog has been a life changer as far as not having to get wet and uh, falling into holes. So I've never been to New Mexico. So when I'm imagining you talk about this, like I'm just imagining like a river, but it would be like kind of like the same as like the Grand Canyon type deal. Like the it's just like red rock and <laughs> it's like so no, way it's, off beat. It, yeah, it would be more of like um, I would say like like Russian olives, olive trees. Um, you have a lot of those, and you got a lot of salt cedar. Uh, I'm sure you're familiar with those trees or not. Anyway, it's just brush no, and no. cottonwoods. Uh, <laughs> okay. So, uh, let me. How, what would be closest to it that I've seen or somewhere around the country that uh, kind of like maybe the Mississippi River? Um, so is it a mucky bottom? Is not like rock? No, no. It's it's definitely mucky. Uh, it is mud. Sometimes you can step in there and it it can. Uh, I, I've gotten in a place to where like the water just pushed. The, the sand aside and it was almost like walking in a uh, sinking sand um so it is real muddy um you know it, and so that's why it changes there's no rocks it's just all mud and sand um so we have that uh that we usually so the water's pretty brown most of the time um and then you get a lot of uh trees and limbs that come in from obviously from the beavers like anything else just floating down the river so uh, maybe another misconception I have too, as well is is New Mexico just all desert? Because I'm like in my mind, I'm thinking it's like a desert, and so there wouldn't be any ducks there. But yeah, so a lot of it is. I don't know a percentage. I would, I would just throw a number out there, say maybe sixty to seventy percent is desert, and then the rest is going to be mountains. You know, pine trees, tall pines all over. Uh, more of the northern part of the state, you're going to have more of the. Uh, we have pinon trees are like a real small pine tree basically um and you also have the tall pines and uh you know the elevation 
gets up to you know six thousand some some places eight thousand feet i believe i could be wrong so don't quote me on that but um it, it is a higher elevation but it, it it has that desert so that's why some people love it it's because it's uh you could be in the mountains from where i live um i could be in the mountains in an hour um but then i'm right outside of that i'm in the desert um so it just it's and then also five minutes from where i live i can be duck hunting in the river um it has a, it's just it's one of those things we, they call it the land of enchantment i had some buddies that came down and they called it the land of entrapment um <laughs> so it's, it's pretty funny it just all in the perspective um i've been all over and it's not as green as you would think obviously the desert um so yeah if you came to new mexico you would expect just to see desert looking like um i would say similar to the grand canyon but obviously not nearly those big canyons like that just kind of flat rock desert um you know not the tall cactus i guess you'd say they're more of like a brush cactus um like a tree looking type deal um and then sagebrush everywhere and then um a lot of valleys you'll you'll come across a lot of farmland um you know we do a lot of elf uh alfalfa and uh chilies what we're really known for here so it's just a mm. great diverse area man you're you can get it you have pretty much a little bit of everything over here uh just not a lot of grass like i've been like georgia and stuff like that you have that growing all over the place um <laughs> beautiful green grass everywhere and that's not the case here it's dry you expect it to be really dry uh no humidity at all it's just a dry heat so your skin will get uh nice and ashy it is amazing that uh, ducks can survive in such diverse uh, areas from, you know, the mallard surviving in the desert all the way over here to, like, farmland and agriculture in Indiana. You almost kind of think of, like, the cornfields and that kind of being a staple, but, um, you know, I guess not in all areas. Well, because these birds are migrating right down from Colorado. So, um, I mean, obviously up Canada, then, and then whenever Colorado freezes uh, and gets cold, then it pushes them down. And they basically, like, I mean, there's a bunch of pockets all over New Mexico. You can go and be in the extreme desert and find a, a nice little pond, lake, and it'd just be loaded with ducks. Um, but a lot of times they like to follow the, the river straight down the middle of the state, heading south and um, to all the other ponds and reservoirs and stuff like that. Um, so that's kind of where I think we have a pretty good little flyway. And we don't have that much water, so a lot of the birds get pushed into, you know, the river, and that's why we have pretty good hunting in the area and all the lakes, you know. That's So you just kind of spread out. And we don't have a lot of duck hunters here. We're a big game state. So uh, everybody comes to here to elk hunt mostly and then, you know, some deer hunt. And we do have, like, other exotic animal, like uh, we have the oryx here and stuff like that. So it's just we're really well known for big game. So waterfowl in itself um, is, is pretty small, and it's not – I mean, there's we have a like a waterfowl page that we have. There's like maybe seven, eight hundred people in it. Mm. What, what, what were the, the ducks? On that. What were the ducks' main food source there? If they're not, if they don't have food in like shallow marshes in the river, are they going out to the farm fields you were talking about? Yeah. So um, there's a lot of like I said farm fields. So we have corn, uh, just like anywhere else, and then they'll be feeding on that, and then they find these other pockets uh the alfalfa i don't know what they're eating out of that i'm not a biologist by any means so i don't know i just know that i see them 
in the alfalfa fields when we flood them. Um, they'll be loaded up in there and I'm prating all the bugs and whatever else inside of there. But yeah, they'll be flying back and forth. So a lot of the times what we're doing is we're, we're hunting them for traffic. So we do scouting, you'll find a place where the birds are just loaded up. They're comfortable in the river. Uh, they're not getting hunted. Um, and, and it's usually in between a place where they like to go get their food, uh, come back, get the water to, you know, help get that corn down and break it up. And then they'll go off onto their uh, roosting area. So usually when we find them like that, that's when we'll go and we'll set up and we'll, we'll hunt them in, in the, right in those little areas, little pockets. So it can, can take a lot of work. Like I said, the more scouting you do, the more successful you'll be out doing it. But most of the time they are hanging right around the farm uh, land. So if you could find somebody with that, you know, has a lot of corn or, or some type of feed that they like, then uh, you could do pretty well if you just hunted that field. But in general, most of us do hunt just the river itself. Mm-hmm. So I know uh, kind of hunting mallards all over the over the place is a little bit different. Um, for me in Indiana, pretty much our uh, our hunting is a morning shoot, and that's it. And I've gone out with Elliot in Kansas. Um, it seems like the birds are more active all day. Maybe it's just the the uh, greater number of mallards I have there. You could probably hunt them in the morning, and uh, you know, Elliot, I know you've sat out all day, and uh, you know have birds kind of you shoot your afternoon mallards as well so in new mexico um you know two two kind of questions on that um are you guys just kind of like having your morning flight hunts um are you able to kind of extend them um later on into the day and also uh i know some of the western states like uh, washington um have a seven mallard limit um what's your limit on mallards as well so we have a five mallard limit um we can shoot six birds, but only five can be mallards, and you have your kicker bird. Um, and then we usually have, like, if you get a wood duck, I know that we see we could be able to get a wood duck as your kicker. You get two wood ducks, but you uh, you could get a full limit of other bird species, but not, like, wood ducks or pintails or, uh, I mean, there's a few other birds in there, too. But if we most of the time, we're always trying for mallards. Um, and as far as the shooting times, typically you do really well in the morning right at uh, – Right, right when right when it's shooting light, you could do good from there all the way up to about 10 o'clock. And then it just kind of dies off from 10 to roughly around 12. Um, you'll get some fly, flights in between the 10 and 11 maybe. And then you'll if you hang out long enough, which most people usually go home around 11 o'clock or so. And then uh, some people hang out. Sometimes you're out there till 1, 2 o'clock to try and scratch out a limit. Um, and then... I rarely hunt that late. I'm usually out there till maybe about 12 o'clock and I'm done. Um, but there has been times where we've stayed out there and just all of a sudden just you look up and there it looks like like a swarm of bees coming down of just ducks. So mm. it seems like sometimes they learn the pattern um, about when they're getting hunted and they come in a little bit later. And uh, sometimes if you stick it out and you're in the right area, if you scouted properly and you saw the birds there, and you're hunted in, in that morning, and no, you know no one else busted them off of the water, um, and you've only shot maybe one or two birds, If you, most of the time, if you just stick it out long enough, they're going to come back, just a matter of what time. So typical hunter is going to hunt anywhere from uh, sun up to about 10, 11 o'clock, and then you'll get another flight sometimes in the late evenings, like around uh, 2... Uh, three o'clock in the afternoon maybe but majority more be more towards the evening to like I would say five six o'clock or somewhere around there right before dusk uh, you could get another good flight but majority of the hunters don't hunt evenings here uh, or all day uh, most of us are just morning hunters 
I love an all-day hunt, man. I, it, I just something about it. I just and here in Kansas, if it gets cold, the pattern is that mallards will go to to crop pretty much right off the bat, and you'll see them flying out, and you'll get a few, a few coming down in. But then from ten thirty to one is when they're coming back from the fields, and and that can be. I mean, if we don't if we don't do real well in the first hour, that's always it's like okay, maybe ten thirty to one we'll really get them and. We go through some times where that's just the hot, hot time of the day. Oh yeah, same same kind of thing there. Like, if you go and you'll see them, and if you're in the right area, you'll see them fly by, and you're like, oh okay, well this is gonna be a late spot because mm-hmm. they'll just fly. They'll get up from their roost and they'll fly across the river to their, uh, we call it loafing area. Um, they'll go there, and we'll just know like, okay, well these birds are gonna be back probably around nine, ten, eleven o'clock, um, and then sure enough, you they come in, you shoot them, and they're full of corn. Um, uh, majority of the time so they're finding that corn somewhere mm-hmm. or whatever type of feed it is and then it's just a matter of staying but man it, it's kind of hard uh i guess for me to do all day hunt because i'm like i get up early i hunt usually during the week because there's no one out there it's a lot better um i'm like five ten minutes from my house so i'll go and i'll start getting hungry right around 10 11 o'clock and i just come back home man real quick you know and by that time i'm already on the couch with feet up <laughs> taking a midday nap yeah, we always cook a little something when we're out there. I, I just love the long hunts. Elliot's a, a big fan of the Chef Boyardee. I do. Um, I like it. <laughs> he's even got a Chef Boyardee soundtrack. So. <laughs> I have put a couple of Chef Boyardee rap songs in my videos. None that I'm singing. <laughs> <laughs> That's the next level. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> I, think, uh, I think right now is probably a good time before we get too far derailed with uh, Chef Boyardee raps and all that kind of stuff to jump into the lightning round. <laughs> Got it. All right, so lightning round, quick questions, quick answers, so let's jump right into it. What kind of gun do you shoot? Uh, Benelli Vinci. And what's your dream gun? Uh, I would say the Benelli uh, Super Black Eagle Three. Hmm. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm a Benelli guy, man. <laughs> so I, I, I bought my first ever gun like that, and that's that's what happens. You yeah, get stuck with yeah, it. yeah. I hear you on that. Um, and uh, do you prefer hunting ducks or geese? Ducks, here. Um, I would rather. I would love to hunt geese, but we don't. Uh, we do. That's the sad part about if you come to New Mexico. Just know that majority of the state, uh, you can hunt two geese, and that's it for the whole season. Oh wow. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't say the whole state. I would say the Rio Grande Valley area. Um, you could only shoot two birds, and that's it for the whole season. Wow. Um, outside of there, you could shoot more, but <laughs> where I hunt is only two for the season. Elliot gets to shoot six a day. Yeah, we have a big <laughs> limit. <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> it's a lot to clean and eat. <laughs> and what's your uh, favorite terrain to hunt? Well, I've, I've only hunted uh, basically here. Um so I, I love the the water, of uh, the river, man. That's just just something about it that I that I truly enjoy. Um, I would love to try some timber hunts. That seems to be uh, uh, on bucket list for sure. Yep, uh, definitely hear that one a lot. <laughs> a lot of people on the bucket list. A lot of people haven't done it, uh, and I'm and I'm in the same category on that as well. Uh, what kind of ammo do you shoot for uh, your ducks? Um, honestly, right now I switched over to heavy metal. And uh, I've been enjoying that a lot. I used to just shoot the cheap Winchester stuff, man, and 
Uh, it's done well for me. It was better than another one I was shooting, but uh, I would say overall, I've really enjoyed this heavy metal that I've been using. Awesome. And uh, what what size shot do you use? I use twos uh, all year. I just I, I know how it, my gun shoots with it. I know how far I can shoot out with it. Uh, I know what it does. It's just some people like to use other size shells throughout the season. I just stick with three inch number twos all year. There you go, and that kind of answers my next questions. Uh, th- uh, three inch or three and a half inch shells? Yep, definitely three inch. All right, and uh, beard or no beard? Always beard. <laughs> face paint or no face paint? Uh, man, depends. If I'm on a, a side where the shadows aren't going to be covering my face, I'll put use face paint. If I'm going to be more in the open, it'll be more of a face paint um, over a mask just because it's super easy to use and quick. If I'm in the shadows, I kind of just uh, go without it. All right. And the last question on this, um, go ahead and tell us about your most memorable hunt. Uh, my most memorable hunt is whenever I took my boy for his birthday. Um, actually, both times when I went out there. were Man, I got three of them. <laughs> <laughs> first one was when I took my dad out. Uh, he shot his first duck ever. Um, that one was obviously cool. Uh, second, next two times would be whenever my wife shot her first bird this past year and a half ago. Um, and then my other one was whenever my boy was just turning... I think he was turning four or five. I have it out on video. Um, I took him out there and we were sitting there eating sunflower seeds. He's never been out hunting before. And, you know, we were just there and these uh, pair came in, a drake and a hen. And I told him to cover his ears. I didn't have ear protection. I'm a bad dad. And uh, <laughs> he held them close, watched it. They were in there. I shot both of them and his mouth dropped and thought it was the coolest thing ever. He's like, I can't believe he shot those out of the air. And, you know, he could barely talk. And uh, he was so excited to go use the finisher on them, even though they were dead. Um, so I let him do that, and that's been something that's always stuck with me. Awesome. Uh, definitely cool to see the different memories uh, that we can have and make with different people uh, through waterfowl hunting. So uh, thanks for coming on. We really appreciate it, man. This has been a, a great podcast and great information. Um, go ahead and let people know where they can find you um, across social media and on, and on the web. So um, we just changed some of our rebranding, some of it. Uh, We were Adrenaline Everything, which is the main company. Uh, We are having other products coming out, so that's why we stuck with the Adrenaline. But we're branching off that so you can still reach us at Adrenaline.com. That's A-D-R-E-N-A-L hyphen L-I-N-E.com for our website. Um, All of our social media tags are going to be The Finisher Official. Um, We just felt like that would be easier for people to know the product with the name and the page. So... They could visit us there, and you could always snoop around and see all the other stuff we have available. Awesome. And, uh, you know, like we said through the podcast, make sure to go check him out. He's got some great stuff, some great content on his uh, social media as well. Um, anything else you want to add, Elliot? Nope, I don't think so. I think it was uh, really interesting hearing everything you've got going on and, and about New Mexico for sure because I'd never realized that. It was good hunting there, but now, I've heard, like Jordan said, multiple people are saying that that's a good spot to go. Yep, you guys are both more than welcome to uh, come out and hunt with me. Like I said, uh, I love just taking new people out all the time. I mean, I've since I've been out, I've been invited out, and I've gone hunting a couple times. But I said I haven't done ducks and stuff like that. Um, so I'll take anybody out. I don't. Uh, 
hide my spots from you know outside people like you guys just i want you to have a good time so people are always more than welcome to come out and hunt with us and have a good time and i do appreciate you guys having me on awesome all right well i think that's a wrap for us tonight um thanks everybody for tuning in make sure to go over to itunes um give us that five star rating if you are liking the content we're putting out i'm jordan from duck gun chronicles elliot from freelance duck hunting and dave from finisher adrenaline and we'll see you guys next time